This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing, and today I'm joined by Robert Rose, Chief Strategy Officer at the Content Marketing Institute. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing very well. And uh, you're over in the States, aren't you? Which part of the States are you from? I am. I When I'm not on an airplane, um, I actually live in Los Angeles, California. And I actually ironically happen to be here at home today. So it's a rarity to catch me at home, but I'm, I'm here at home in LA today. Wonderful. So uh, let's start off by uh, you telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. I've been, well... Oh my gosh, you know, how long is your show? I could go back 25 years. <laughs> We've got at least two minutes. <laughs> um, exactly. So I uh, I started in marketing about 25 years ago and really just sort of cut my teeth in the digital space during the late 90s um, and then for the past 15 years um, more specifically really focused on digital and content. I was I started out on the ad agency side. Um, worked a lot in large consultancies, and then spent eight, uh, spent eight and a half years at a startup company as CMO, uh, really building uh, this idea of content marketing without even realizing it. You know, I told my board and my management team, I said, "Hey, I want to build a team of uh, communicators. I don't want to build a marketing team because I think we really need to turn ourselves into a media company." I didn't even know at the time what the term content marketing meant. So you were, a, you were I, before your time. Well, so to speak, and so, or an idiot, one of the two. And so, interestingly, it happened to work. Um, and I was out on a speaking uh, tour, um, actually talking about my case study of, of how I'd made this startup company uh, from a media company work in marketing. Mm. And I met this guy, Joe Polizzi, who was basically giving the same talk I was, only he was calling it something. He was actually calling it content marketing at the time. He had written a book and we had dinner and and really just got on very well. And, and he said, hey, listen, when you stop doing this CMO thing, we should do some business together. And that was in 2008. And uh, from that point forward, I, I left the company I was with about a year later and joined up with him. And for the last six years, really, I've been with uh, CMI, sort of helping them grow as their chief strategy officer. You've got a weekly podcast as well, haven't you? Tell us about that. Well, we've got a podcast. Thank you for asking. It's called PNR's This Old Marketing. And we, you know, it's a little bit of a play on This Old House, which of course was a wonderful show here in the States. I don't know, I'm sure if it was there in the UK or not, but it was basically two guys who would go into an old house and sort of fix it up and talk about the wonderfulness of of this old house. And we yeah. sort of took that on and said this old marketing, because from our perspective, content marketing has been around forever. It's just been known as different things. And as it's really grown in popularity as digital and the idea of brand as publisher has become more popular. We like to talk about every week, you know, sort of everything that's going on in content marketing now, and then also bring in some past experience of content marketing from sometimes years gone by. Um, and we try and make it fun. Yes. But, uh, we, we've got a weekly podcast. We've been going about uh, 81 episodes now, so almost exactly a year and a half and, uh, we're going strong. It's, it's really, really fun. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, it's fun podcasting, isn't it? Oh, just love it. Now, you're an author as well. You've written this book, The uh, the Seventh Era of Marketing, um, sure. which feels like it's it's all about sort of moving on in the in, uh, differential ways of marketing. What was the inspiration behind that book? You know, it was really the culmination of a number of things. And first and foremost, it was what we were seeing out in the marketplace. You know, so Carla Johnson, um, who is my co-author on the book, she's also out there working with big 
company sort of helping them figure out stories. And I've been working with large enterprises in, uh, with, uh, with Content Marketing Institute for as many years. And, you know, after 70 or 100 engagements, you know, we both sort of came to the conclusion that there's a pattern here, which is really as content is becoming more important in the marketer's toolbox, and as we sort of move beyond this idea of only focusing on developing relationships with consumers, because quite frankly, developing relationships with customers these days is more complicated than ever, right? Because of yeah. digital, because of the asymmetric power shift of now consumers having much more power to sort of drive their buying process or as around uh, getting you know in and having the information in the sales process it's really shifted this idea of what consumers expect out of brands and truly expect out of having a quote unquote relationship. And really what we found is, is that overlaying everything, if you look at the new disruptive companies, you know, the Airbnbs, the Ubers, um, the, you know, Facebooks, even the, to really just every kind of industry, whether it's media, pharma, manufacturing, retail, et cetera. Yeah. The idea of laying over experiences over every part of that customer's journey is truly what differentiates these days. And that's the idea here is, is that it's not that relationships are dead, but it's just how we develop them is around delighting them as audiences first. So be beginning to drive these content-driven experiences is really the most important thing. And so we wanted to really draw two halves of the book, the first half of why we think this is happening and why it's so important. And then the second is, using our experience of those 70 to 100 engagements, really draw a methodology for how we think a business can actually start to approach it. Now, you mentioned content-driven experiences there. I want to come back to that. But just before sure. we talk about that, I mean, the last, oh, I don't know, one, two, possibly arguably three years, we've seen organizations really um, sort of shifting to sort of embrace um, content-driven marketing, haven't we? What are your observations of that? Well, I think it's 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 coming in fits and starts, um, and I think there are you know there are certainly early leaders here, there are early adopters, whatever you'd like to call them, that are making great success with content and content driven experiences as a way to move their business forward and differentiate themselves in the marketplace. You know, I mean, there are certainly the poster children here, right? So the Red Bulls, Coca Cola, HubSpot. You know, these are companies that are out there doing interesting things with content that are actually really helping. Then you have sort of the people who are beginning to experiment and get a little bit of traction, but aren't really sure how yet. And there they're creating content marketing programs that are supporting sales or supporting direct marketing efforts or doing something that is sort of a little bit extra than what they were normally doing in terms of direct marketing, but not quite have it embedded yet. And I think the real trend where we're seeing sort of the evolution of this is the companies that are starting to see a little traction with this and starting to feel like this is the right thing are actually evolving content and the creation of such into the business as its own function, mm. right? So instead of just being a byproduct of what every other department creates from product to customer service, to marketing, to brand, to PR, to social, who are all creating content in their ever siloed ways, it is now sort of rethinking content as a centralized function of the business and, quite frankly, as an asset that we should manage carefully. We should manage strategically. And so just like accounting and just like legal and just like operations and just like sales were sort of practices that grew out of other things, here we have, I believe, content growing as a function in the business that is sort of growing out of the basically business need 
to create it as a strategic approach. Yeah. And you, you talked about sort of evolving it, content-driven experiences, of course. Just explain briefly your definition of that and how that would evolve from sort of content-driven marketing. Sure. And, the, and I think the, you know, it, I wouldn't necessarily say there's a difference between the two because it, it's, it's, it's truly the idea of creating an experience, content, physical or otherwise. And that's really the only differentiation I would say between experiences and calling it content marketing is to sort of include that which is not necessarily text or video or sort of traditional what we might think of as content. But they are, mm. you know, they are themselves Physical experiences like events, I know I think of HubSpot's inbound event as a huge content marketing experience, but it's not really content or it it goes beyond content and it includes the physical aspect of being at an event. But beyond that, it's really uh, this idea of creating something of value that is separate and discrete from the product or service that we're offering in the marketplace. And there's the real difference, right? It's, It's creating something that not only or goes beyond describing this wonderful thing that we've put out into the market, our car, our B2B software product, our legal services, whatever it happens to be. And we describe them great. We know how to do that. That's marketing's remit. It has been for as many years. And we know how to create features and benefits and unique sales propositions and unique value propositions and persuade people that this is a good good thing for them to have or take service of. In addition to that, content-driven experiences, the differentiator here is creating value that's separate from that product or service. And so you think of something, again, bringing back Red Bull into this, an entertainment, a TV network, a documentary, a feature film. You look at HubSpot, a blog that teaches you something about a concept called inbound marketing, an event that does the same. You look at what Coca-Cola does in creating entertainment videos. You look at what other B2B organizations are doing in creating thought leadership, not necessarily about their product or service, but about the thing that they're trying to represent themselves as being thought leaders or entertainers in. Yes. And that's the real difference is that layering over of a valuable experience over the top of your product or service. And in most cases, separate and discreet from it. Yeah. So you must have seen some classic mistakes being made on this journey that we're all going through. What would they be in your opinion? Well, the, the, the first and foremost is jumping right into execution, you know, and this is just a classic mistake that is sometimes unavoidable because what happens is, is that the practitioner in the marketing group will get, you know, the airline magazine slapped down in front of them from the CEO that says, where are we on a Twitter strategy or where are we on a blog strategy or where are we on this? And, you know, and the article is like why blogging is the next thing or why white papers are the next thing. And you've got to, you know, why video is the next thing. And so they jump right into execution of content without thinking about why they're doing it, what value they're actually trying to create for that consumer. And what ends up happening inevitably is it might even start really interesting just, you know, on accident. They might create something really interesting or or valuable just because it's the first idea they come up with. But what Mm -hmm. inevitably happens is without a strategy, without a plan it bleeds right back into the sale. So what you do is you start just, it starts very, very quickly becoming sales collateral again. And then you've just added another layer of sales collateral to your to-do list. And what most businesses find is like, they say, hey, this content marketing thing isn't working. And you go, well, what, what, are, you, what are you creating? Let's look at it. And they've just basically created a B list of collateral materials that they're creating that, you know, maybe doesn't have the company logo on it, but still talks about the product and the service and why it's so awesome and why it's great. And all you've done then is basically redefine marketing collateral. You haven't really done content marketing. That's the, that's the biggest mistake. So the, 
the remedy to that is to actually think through first in a strategic plan and a reason why, a purpose behind the content you're creating. And at the core of that is what value, separate and discrete from our product or service, can we offer our cons- our consumer at whatever part of the buying journey they might be in? Are we trying to draw more awareness to an issue? Or are we trying to get people to trust this process or this approach more uh, fluidly? Or are we actually trying to create some level of loyalty in our business to create some level of trust in our type of approach that we want them to share with their peers and so on and so forth? And understanding that reason is really the the core the, the core remedy to that mistake. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Red Bull and HubSpot, people like that. I mean, perhaps outside of those, to you, what are the real sort of success stories? Well, I think my favorite, and it's one that I mention a lot, is what Julie Fleischer and her team at Kraft have done. Um, and and the reason I love that success story so much is because it really doesn't have anything to do with leads or new customers. What she has done is really to create two owned media properties, a print magazine and an online version of that. And the print magazine is called Food and Family Magazine. Mm. And, the, and the online version of that is the online recipes database. And all it is, by the way, the Food and Family Magazine, people pay for that. You actually, it's, a, it's not a cost center for them. It's actually a revenue center for them where they produce this magazine. People subscribe to it. Yeah. And it's got wonderful articles that really help, as she says, their content mission, why they're doing it, helping busy families create fast meal solutions. So the, all the recipes in that uh, magazine are all you know 10 and 15 minute recipes. Same thing with the online recipes database, which the print magazine feeds into. Now, what they get out of that is opt-in subscribers and rich data. And what's happened over the course of the last, you know, two, two and a half years that they've been running this program is three and a half million opt-in subscribers to this. They actually have a bigger audience than the TV Food Network. Wow. And so they actually have better research on their consumers here in the U.S., than any research company on the planet. So all these brand managers that are out there buying research from research companies about, you know, what do moms in Georgia think or what do this group of people in, you know, Northwest U.S. think, she doesn't have to buy that. Those brand managers don't have to buy that because, quite frankly, she's got better research than any research company does. Yeah, yeah. And then they can use the data that's, that's being generated out of the online database to make their ad buys, which all those brand managers doing, you know, macaroni and cheese and cheese and all the stuff that they're doing, they're doing banner ads and they're doing print ads and they're doing TV ads. They can have that research and the data to do targeted programmatic advertising in a more efficient way. So for them, it's not a revenue generator. It's actually a cost savings initiatives where the content marketing program actually saves them money on research expenses as well as making their traditional advertising buys much more efficient. And it's a hugely profitable um, uh, uh, initiative for them. I ju- and I love it as a case study. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's almost like a multi-win scenario because it, it's almost like they're sort of granted advertising space inside their own content, <laughs> which, which sounds exactly, really, really cannibalistic well, and bizarre. that's exactly but, uh, it. I mean, that's yeah. exactly it. They're actually creating their own audience and actually creating a much stronger bond by creating these experiences. And, and you just said it very elegantly. They're actually granting themselves advertising space within the content that they're creating. So they actually have now permission with the three and a half million that they have. You know, it's not that they never throw in a banner ad into their own magazine or that they never throw in a print ad into the print magazine. Of course they do. Yeah. But, but they've granted themselves by 
by building such a strong bond with their audience, they build that permission in. It's a, a, another example of that is what Coca-Cola has done with their spread happiness videos and their sort of liquid content program that they have where they're creating these wonderful videos. They have built in permission. You know, people always ask me, well, there's a Coke bottle in the middle of that video. That's not content marketing. And I'm like, but it is mm. because they've built that permission in, right? They've they spent enough time building a bond with the audience that you don't care that there's a Coke bottle in the middle of the, the yes. content is itself good enough that they've built in permission that they can actually put something branded in there. Yeah. And that's the real difference is if we can create that valuable experience over time, we can even build permission in to build in some level of branding or brought to you by or powered by or something like that. It's a really, really great evolution. So we talked about some big companies there, no craft Coca-Cola. Yeah, uh, a lot sure. of our listeners are quite small businesses, sure. so medium-sized businesses. Any top tips for our small to medium listeners? Absolutely. Well, first of all, the, 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 the major point is, is that with small businesses, content marketing is even more important than for big businesses. And in fact, our research shows this where as a percentage of marketing, the small and medium-sized businesses are where the percentage of budgets are growing the fastest and quite frankly are the fastest because quite frankly small businesses can't buy their way in like a business uh, a big business can you know you can't buy television advertising you can't really spend a lot of money on so you have to sort of earn your way in with time sweat blood tears all the all the usual stuff that small businesses go through mm. and you know i mean the, the the small business i always point to of course is hubspot because that was two guys you know brian and darmesh who started at a picnic table in boston and created an entire category of marketing called inbound marketing. I mean, inbound marketing didn't exist before Brian and Darmesh invented it. Mm. And they created an entire category by writing a book, by creating a blog, and then launching a company behind to support that approach. It's a wonderful idea of how a small business became big. But of course, not every small business wants to become big. And you say, well, marketing is only something I do on the weekends because quite frankly, every during the week, I'm running the business. And so there... Creating a content program for at least some of your time, some of your effort can be a real benefit because what happens is, is that, remember, the investment model is different. With content marketing, you're investing in something, creating content that theoretically should build value over time. So if you create a wonderful video or a wonderful white paper, or a wonderful webinar series, thought leadership article, content hub, however it expresses itself, the value of that thing lasts forever. If you stick it out, I mean, I still get, uh, and I practice what I preach here, I still get inquiries for consulting engagements and for speaking engagements on stuff I've written four and five years ago Yes, because people, because people find it on the web and they go, wow, this is really smart. This is, I mean, they're not saying I'm smart. They're saying whatever it is. Yes. Smart. No, you are you smart. Know. You are smart. They're, Robert. they're, they're, they're flawed people. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, um, but in any event, they, they find this and then they, and then they, they seek you out. And that's the difference between looking at this as a campaign-based structure versus something where you're actually investing in the time to create something of value. Yeah. Now, it might be a book. It might be a magazine article. It might be a blog post. It might be a series of these things. Whatever you can do, just be consistent with it, and it will pay dividends down the road, I promise. It's, an, it's a different idea of investing because it's not like traditional campaign-based marketing where it goes up, it comes down, and then it's ephemeral and it sort of fades into the ether. Great content marketing stands the test of time. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It is ephemeral, isn't it? It's like podcasting. I mean, you've, once you get a few tens of episodes under your belt, you can get to a point where you can... I think we calculated once that every uh, at any moment there were 15 people in the world listening to the Internet Marketing Podcast. <laughs> well, well, that's fantastic. It's the same with yours, yeah. It's the I same with any that. content, isn't it? Yeah. Love that. Yeah, the, there will always yeah. be N people in the world, on average, at any one moment, either reading, listening, or watching your content, if, if you get it right, yeah. That's exactly right. And that, and that is, you know, that goes beyond, I mean, that comes back to the book, right? Where we are now beyond this idea of reach and frequency. And it is the idea of creating something of value that ultimately, you know, instead of trying to create the right message at the right time for the right person, it's actually creating the right message to the right person in their time. Yes. And so that, and so that they actually, when they're looking, they will find you. And that's the real difference here. We're not trying to be big today. We're trying to be remarkable over time. Yeah. Well, Robert, thanks so much for your input. Um, could you tell us uh, how our listeners can find out more about A, you, B, your book, and C, your podcast? Well, thank you very much for that, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so uh, the book is, a, you can find at Seventh Era of Marketing, and it's 7th or 7th spelled out. We were smart that way. Uh, yeah. So com, and there's a book trailer, and there's three free chapters, no registration required, just three free chapters for you to check it out and see if you like it. Um, and then, of course, it's available on Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. On Twitter, I'm at Robert underscore Rose. Would love to connect with you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can catch me at contentmarketinginstitute.com, I, which is where I most frequently uh, frequently blog. Oh, and the podcast is This Old Marketing, which you can see at thisoldmarketing.com. Is it in iTunes as well, Robert? It is. It's in iTunes, Stitcher. Um, I think that's uh, – and oh, and soon probably Spotify, uh, according to last week's news. Yeah. Ooh, I haven't heard this. What's this news oh, about Spotify oh, and no, podcasts? Spotify, yeah, Spotify. And I'm supposed to be a announced. podcasting expert, and I haven't heard about yeah, it. Yeah, po- tell Spotify us quickly about what's going week. on. Yeah, yeah. Spotify last week announced that they are going to start including podcasts. Um, they're making a few partnerships. Um, Libsyn, and I never know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's L I B S Y N, which oh, I, is a distribution yeah, network. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, so they are uh, one of the partners, which of course we are on. Um, and then there's a couple of others, and I forget what they are, but it's not like SoundCloud. Um, and not iTunes. It's, it's some of the others that they've made partnerships with will be partners with Spotify where they're going to start offering up both video and audio podcasts on Spotify. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, we better stop there. Otherwise, I'll be talking all night about, uh, about <laughs> podcasts. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, show notes are in the usual place, sitevisibility.com forward slash IM podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitcher as well. And we've got feedback via either the email, which is podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk, or the telephone hotline where we can hear your sweet tones at plus four four one two seven three two five six one five zero. So that's all from me, Andy. And it's all from Robert. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fantastic, fantastic fun time. And we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing. Mm-hmm.